Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Loogie. I'm your host, Zach, here with Jack and Andrew, as always. And we're sorry to be keeping you guys two or three weeks between shows. A lot's gone on between then and now. I had five teeth yanked. I got addicted to drugs. I got mm. off the drugs. But we've got a hell of a show for you today. We, we, we've got... Review of 1975 World Series Game 6. We got Zach and Andrew's all-time team. And we got a music bracket to break down and plenty more. So let's get right into it. You didn't mention my name in this intro. Am I I involved at all? I I did say Jack and Andrew. Yeah, that's all. Just Jack. (laughs) You guys have your all-time team. All right, go ahead. I mean, you didn't want to do what's pissing you off this week. I'm trying to think of something to say. Let's get right into the lockout news that's happened over these last three weeks because stuff has happened, and Andrew's got. Yeah, I think so. Nobody knows what's going on in baseball for the last three weeks. (laughs) That's right. So that's right. right, Andrew, I got to hear it then because I don't even know. Let him know. Yeah, sadly, we've been gone for three weeks, and there's basically nothing has changed. There's not much to report on. There was some reports and excitement that a deal was going to be made a few days ago. I think it was on Monday. They set a deadline for Tuesday, 5 p.m. And there was a bunch of reports late at night that they're making progress. They're really close. The players are staying super late. Like they were there till 2 a.m. and they were going to meet again in the morning. And then news comes out the next day that there's no deal the players have rejected the owner's final offer. So now we're at the point where games are going to be canceled. I think they've announced the first two series of the season have been canceled at this point. And you have a lot of players coming out saying that the owners just refuse to budge at all, that their final offer was a joke. They were trying to sneak things in at the last minute that was never discussed before. And it just sounds like a horrible negotiation on the owner's part. You have Manfred coming out, making the announcement, and he is smiling. He looks like he's happy to report that games are going to be missed. Uh, So it's just a mess all around. And from what I've heard, it's all on the owners. Yeah, that's what I'm, I mean, I haven't been following closely, but yeah, the players don't seem to be asking for a whole lot more than what they're already getting. Actually, some of the things they're asking for are fair like the earlier free agency for some of the older players and other things Mm -hmm. like that. But this is, you know, I've been through this, I don't know, five or six times now um, since I started following baseball. And this is always the pattern. The owners play, you know, they're in control. They play total hardball. They're not going to lose a whole lot of money in all this. And players just want to play. I mean, these guys, they're getting older. Their opportunities to make a buck is a very short window. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the initially you get a lot of this, well, they're getting paid millions of dollars to play a, a boys game. You know, what's the big problem? Well, the problem is that there's a ton of money in the game. Mm-hmm. And the money is a, a centers around people wanting to see the players play. So, you know, supply and demand. If, they, if, if that's what the market will, will, will bear, sure are making $40 million a year, then that's what the market will bear. And the owners are the one paying it. But yet, it's, so initially, there's like a player pushback, but then the players want to play. Mm-hmm. And then the owners just, you know, like I said, they, they got their asses covered. They've got an insurance policy and other things to guard against a loss of income during this time. So 
they're not that interested in making a deal early on until they really get some of the key things that they're going to want, which I'm not sure what those are. Do we know? I know they, it's really all about money. They don't want to be paying rookies that much more. I know the players want the minimum salary to be raised. The owners don't want that. And I think a big one is the salary cap or the luxury tax is a big argument is they don't want, they don't want to, well, they don't want teams to be able to spend an insane amount, but then they also don't want to be forced to spend a lot. You have all those small market teams that are basically paying nothing to their players and the players don't want that. They want every team to be spending a lot and every team to be competitive but the owners Mm -hmm. are not a fan of that. And unfortunately, the only way to really combat that is to have a a, a different kind of equitable spread of the money distributed to the 30 teams. Is it 30? Yeah, 30 teams. And um, the rich, more powerful owners, of course, aren't going to go for that. And Mm -hmm. they, They like the present system where they've guiding their huge amount of local money coming in and tv and radio and advertising so la compared to kansas city with local monies coming in it's a joke so if that was a more equitable distribution of that kind of funds then these other teams could spend more money um Mm -hmm. to the delight of the players there'd be more teams in the market competing for their services willing to spend extra money right but um as i say the rich owners they're not real fans of that so they and you could see that in the Premier League, if I may talk football. You could probably see it in any league, right? Well, the NFL has a much better money the distribution of funds. That's true, yeah. Um, they got a lot more TV money, and the TV money is just split 32 ways. So everyone, And that's the majority of where the funding comes from. There's a lot more local money involved in, um, in baseball because in football, all games are nationally televised. So all your money is national money. In baseball, you've got, yeah, you've got the playoffs, the World Series, and you've got the games of the week, but then you've got all those games that are just the local cable money. Mm-hmm. Is that coming from there being so many games in the baseball season as opposed to NFL? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not going to have a, a, a game of the week every night of the week in baseball. Right. You know, so, okay, the Mets are going to be on Fox, they're going to be on ESPN or, or Turner, whoever's got the contracts, um, you know, 12 times a year. Mm-hmm. 150 i mean there's 150 games are going to be up for grabs amongst the local cable companies so sny bids a ton of money to get 150 140 whatever many games it is met games well the only nfl money is well who's going to put my game on the radio locally mm-hmm. and that's that doesn't pay a lot of money all their tv money is all from Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS. So you don't have all that local money, radio, which is pennies um, in the NFL. So almost all their TV and sponsorship money is is on a national mm-hmm. basis. So you just split it 32 ways and everyone stays rich. But when the Dodgers are getting $100 million for local TV rights, and Kansas City's getting $5 million for local TV rights. Uh, that's yeah. where the, these huge disparities occur. And that's why the Mets, Dodgers, Yankees, et cetera, are, and Red Sox are the big spenders. So, and that's that's just never going to change. 
So you're always going to have this disparity mm-hmm. um, in these teams. But um, well, yeah. have no fear because if the season doesn't start on time, we've always got the MLB vault to go to. We've got hundred over a hundred years of games right on the internet, and we watched one this oh, week. Yeah, 1975 we World Series oh, Game Lord. Six, highly recommended by Jack. And for good reason, after we watched it, it became very evident. Yeah. Jack, why don't you go ahead and just no, set the scene I, I for us? No, I should go last on it. Oh, I'll we'll set We'll just the set scene. the scene. I'll set the scene. Um, the World Series night games had just started in 71. And that's a big part of what went down here. Because by 75, I think they were allowed to do three games at night. Now, of course, starting in 1985, all the games were on at night. Obviously, TV money, ratings, etc. Seventy-five. I only went to um, a three. I think they allowed three games to be on at night. Now this game was going to be, I think, a day game. They had three days of rain in Boston. They could not get Game Six in, and there's like a three or four day gap between Game Five and Game Six. Moved it to night. I think it was a Monday night, and there was a big uproar. How could you play baseball at night in Boston in October? <laughs> it's so cold, and blah, yeah. blah blah blah. You don't care about the fans. Blah blah blah. Well. You know, they, you're right. They, you know, they, 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 the TV money is more important. Than Brings true today. Cold. Oh, yeah. We hear that all <laughs> now. So but the fact that it was a night game was key. The fact that it was extra innings was key, too, because as all the – you don't forget, there were only four channels back then. So as people were done watching All in the Family or, or Rowan and Martin, whatever they were watching on, where else would you go? You went over to watch the game because it was still on because it was an extra innings. Mm-hmm. So you've got this huge audience now. On a night game, and that is really sets the stage for what made this a classic beyond the classic in that you had um, this huge audience, and and that's because of this quality of the game and how it ended with this huge night audience is what made it, one of the things that made it such an iconic game. So that's the stage center for that. All right, stage set. I'll take it from here. We got... Gary Nolan on the mound versus Luis Tiant. And uh, I listened to the game while I was at work. I didn't really get to see much of it because I have to appear like I'm working, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was an insane and phenomenal game to listen to. It was great commentary and obviously just a superb game. I just want to bring up two things the, commenter, the commentators said that caught my eye that I thought, Nobody says stuff like that anymore. Yeah. First one yeah. was you couldn't hit him with seven bats with pitches like that. I was like, <laughs> yep. that is a great, that is a great, great catchphrase. That should be used more like yeah. at least once a game. Uh, another one. <laughs> this is after I think a ball was fouled. I wasn't watching, so I didn't really see. I think a ball was fouled right over near the announcers or something. Yeah. And they talked about one of the guys ducked and the guy said, he assumed married man stance. He ducked right under those chairs. <laughs> and the other two guys in the booth, you could hear him just kind of nervously laughing at yeah. that joke. Uh, and I thought that was hilarious. They were just having a good time in the booth. just And, and they just talked about the players as if they kind of had conversations with them. Yeah. Kind of had a more personal relationship with them. They talked yeah, about... True. They talked about media in a different way than I think it is now. They talked about reporters and writers and their interaction with the players and managers a lot, which I yes. thought was very good insight. 
Yeah, they talk, a, um, if I may just, I'll just give yeah, you a little ahead. announcer background too, real quick. Dick Stockton, who did the play-by-play, was, as was the tradition back then, you'd bring in the local guy to do some some play-by-play when you went to the ah. home ballpark. So Dick Stockton was the local Red Sox guy. And I read an article, he was paid $500 to work that game six. And he, he was thrilled. Um, the other two guys, Joe Caraggio yeah, was a longtime catcher in the major leagues, always a backup catcher, <clears throat> not a good hitter. So that was always a, a part of a joke. And then his partner, Tony Kubek, was shortstop for the Yankees in the early 60s when they went to, you know, four or five World Series. So it was Kubek and Garagiola was the number one NBC team starting in 75 and probably for the next 10 years. And those guys are kind of like the summer on Madden, not on that same level, but they were kind of the summer on Madden of the mm-hmm. day in baseball. So anyway, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, they were excellent. Uh, a couple other things I noticed a couple times I did flip to the game to look at it for a second. Uh, they still had those camera angles I love from behind home plate for a for some of the pitches I noticed. And there was noticeably more graphics on the screen. You mm-hmm. could tell the production had been upped considerably. It was yeah. it it was an obvious progression in those what nine or ten years since the last guys, one we watched. You guys saw the sixty nine series and yeah, you're right. You can see just in those six years the massive upgrade yeah. in the number of cameras and the camera angles and the replays, et cetera. It was it was a huge difference. Yeah, speaking of camera angles, one of the one of the times I flipped to look at the screen, there was a guy I don't know if you guys saw this standing on the roof of the <laughs> yeah, left with field the handheld bleachers. camera. Yeah, with yeah. the hand just squatting and kind of holding yep. a huge camera right on the edge of this hall overhang i was like geez yeah. well nbc That's went in there before nowadays. the series and looked around to see where can we put more cameras ah. this was part of the idea was hey we're gonna you know like you said upgrade our our production here and we're gonna put more cameras out and that was where one of the additional cameras ended up and i'll just quickly mention because we're going to talk about it later Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Kubek, as a matter of fact, the announcer recommended putting a camera in the left field wall, mm. like removing a, a a piece of wood that you could actually put a camera because he said there's going to be a lot of base running. So why can't we get a camera like fo- in that wall that could focus a lot on second base for bang, bang plays a second base. So huh. that was a pivotal decision, which we'll talk about later. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. The announcer made that suggestion? Yes. One of the announcers was just saying, hey, these guys like to run a lot. Let's get a camera down in here, see if we can do this. And they they were managed. They were able to do it. Interesting. I've got some questions for you, Jack, later about some things that were mentioned in this game. But, Andrew, go ahead and take it away from here. Well, so this game, it's a shame that you didn't watch too much of it, Zach, because this (laughs) game had some amazing sideburns oh man i uh i posted a few in the chat right now but <laughs> it was pretty awesome wow joe morgan fred lynn louis tiant pete rose all with great sideburns my favorite though was <laughs> cecil cooper had these huge <laughs> ones those are chops just like every player had them, and it was so funny to see. Got some stuck in him in that picture. <laughs> oh, and uh, also your favorite, your favorite ugly guy. One of your favorite ugly guys, Clay Carroll, made an appearance in this game as well. Yeah, baby, yeah. representing the there. ugly squad. Yeah, but yeah, this was a awesome game to watch. It was very long, as we 
were talking about before. Yeah. I think I was mm. saying I was in the sixth inning. There was two hours left. I was in the ninth <laughs> inning. There was still an hour left. So I imagine with commercials and everything, it had to have been a four-plus-hour game, which is yeah, unheard of for back one. then. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to watch. It was awesome to see the big red machine. You got, you know, Rose Griffey, Morgan Bench as your first four uh, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Getting to see guys like Yastramski and Fisk was awesome. You mentioned that both the ca- the camera work I really liked. The one up on the wall, the one in the wall, and then there was one point when one of the relievers was warming up on the mound and they had they split the screen into four squares yeah. yeah and all four squares were different angles of the guy warming up like yeah. it was all just him throwing warm-up pitches yeah. from slightly different angles <laughs> which was really was so funny cool. you know yeah. and then another one when tian is on the mound they have his dad in the stands who was like had just come over from cuba and yeah. barely ever get to see him pitch it was really cool that he was there mm-hmm. And they had him superimposed on the right side, like a a fade-in circle of his face watching yeah. Yeah, while Tian cool. is on the mound. So that one was really funny and really cool. cool. And obviously the game was incredible. Some huge plays. I was kind of disappointed in the announcer's reaction to the bottom of the ninth inning play at the plate. Yeah. Because that yep. play was insane. That yeah, was insane. Well, obviously the Reds went on to win the World Series, but if the Reds won that game, that play is just the play. Like it is, yeah, Yeah. it is just crazy because game saver. It was by a inch that he was at. Oh, really? I thought it was crazy throw. I thought because I just listened. I thought it was an easy, easy like. Oh, he's he's still standing up, and the the catcher just like kind of tagged. No, he got him by. Half a second, like it, it was, was a really so poor close. slide too. If he he came in too high, he started like a, a like a, a fadeaway fly to the right, and he was mm. going for the plate with his hand, but he started it too late, so he was still up too high. So bench fields the throw on a bounce, but he has to make like a backhand catch away from the the line, mm. the baseline, and then he comes and sweeps the tag, gets him on the shoulder, but because he was high enough, um. I think a good low slide, he, he might have been in under the tag. But but Andrew's right because it's a foul ball. He caught in foul territory, mm-hmm. which means there's only like three feet between the foul line yep. and the stands over there. Yeah, fan so almost called it. now you kind of got to get out of the way of the, of, the, of, the, of the fence to your right as the left fielder to make a decent throw. And, um, and they did talk a little bit about, well, he tagged up. Should you have sent him because it was nobody out when he went? Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe you should have let the one out go. And, and so, but I think it was the right move to send him honestly, because it I was a so difficult too. throw. He was, you know, he's moving toward the line. He's almost against the wall. He just made a good throw in a bad slide. So was but, it Don Zimmer that sent him too? Yep. Well, yeah. that it's funny that you mentioned that. That was one of the other things I wanted to talk about is they mentioned Don Zimmer at least 10 times. I've never heard yeah. a broadcast name the third base coach mm-hmm. so many yeah. times and it stuck in my head because we talked about him last time with yeah. you know he played for the Mets and he Next with the, the and Pedro he, Martinez yeah. fight and all yeah. that but they just kept talking about Don Zimmer over and over again which is really funny mm-hmm. 
a couple other things I noticed that Louis Tiant's different deliveries, how often yep. he changed them was so cool. I mean, it's, I don't know if you saw him, Zach, but it's similar to, I um, heard them describing it. Like what Johnny Cueto will do now where he yeah. like does some, puts his back to the batter, kind of hesitates a little bit. Uh, gotcha. Sometimes he has a high leg kick, sometimes not. He was, it was so cool. It was like he was playing a game and every time he would do one, the crowd would go crazy in the <laughs> middle of his delivery because they like were just loving it. So that was really cool. Uh, a few other quick things I noticed. We talked about it with the last game where all the fans are wearing suits. Yes. Mm-hmm. There were less, there still were a good amount of suits. And for not, a night game, yeah. It was still kind of surprising, but not nearly as many as no. in the past games we've watched. It's still on my list. I still I'm still on the hook to investigate the decline of the suit and tie at the World mm-hmm. Series. So uh, I'll have a full report next week. Sounds good. One or two other things. The Carlton Fisk celebration where he's waving the ball to stay yep. fair. I didn't know it was from this game. Like I've seen that clip before, but that was really cool yep. to see. And then the one that really surprised me is I don't know why this was, but they never said the words green monster. They would always talk about the wall. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But they never said green monster once. And I'm like, yeah. was it just not called that yet? Or was it, I knew it wasn't new. Like I know it's a really old thing, but that was strange to me. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Everything. They can't wait to see. Yastrzemski yeah, really knows how to touch, how to play that left field wall. He's got to play the wall, yeah. And sure Instead enough, playing the monster. There was Johnny Bench banged the line drive off the wall. Yaz played it perfectly and held Bench to a single. So it's always fun to see a single off the wall. Yeah. One of my questions for you was: uh, Was Yastrzemski the best player you think you've ever seen playing that left field in? Oh, absolutely. In Boston. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that was pretty much it was just that's just about the end of his career in left field, too, because uh, Jim Rice, who was injured for this World Series, was a starting left fielder. And he and Fred Lynn had had this great were this great one two combo for the Red Sox. So they played without Rice, who I believe is in the Hall of Fame right now. He did make it to the Hall of Fame. Um, So Yaz was still playing left field. But after that, he kind of transitioned to first base, and Jim Rice became the uh, the regular left fielder. Hmm. Because they only to get his bat in the lineup. I mean, Yaz was the better left fielder, but um, they just want to get Rice's bat in the lineup. He was uh, only a left fielder, so that's how hmm. Yaz ended up at first base for the rest of his career. And they had a good DH, or was there no DH yet? Oh, yeah, it was a DH, and well, you're right. He played first base slash DH. His last, he retired. In- in 83, his last six or seven years, he was mostly first base DH. Was this game pre-DH? Because I know well, Tion you know, It's funny you ask that because when I saw Tion coming up in the bottom of the, or whatever, second inning or whatever it was, I'm like, what? What was the rule back then? I know the rules changed a lot. From seven, 73 was the first year to DH in the American League. There was no DH from 73 to 75. So, like the National League said, you know, screw you. You know, we're, hmm. you're going to make your pitchers bat. And you could see Tian tried to bunt at some point. It was it was a fiasco. Yep. But um, after that, it was <laughs> every other year. They alternated years, and then at some point, it became the home. I think in the '90s, it became the home home team DH, or not DH, depending on on where they were playing. So yeah, there was no DH at all for the first three years in American League had the DH. Didn't Tian uh single with a bunt like a 
boop over the charging <laughs> yeah. third baseman. Yeah. It was a horrible bunt, but <laughs> no, I think no, he was thrown out. But oh, he was um, thrown out. Okay. But it, they were just lucky it wasn't a double play because he popped up the bunt. Uh, but the first gotcha. Tony Perez is charging from first base, but it went over his head. <laughs> so they still got Tion out of first, but it, it would have been a double play had, had Perez been able to reach the ball on the pop up. Gotcha. So he advanced the runner at least. Yeah, he did yeah. manage to advance the runner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and one last thing that it was the thing that the announcer said that was really odd to me. They were talking about how a bunch of players were sick or something, and they're like, yeah. oh, the, the Red Sox, they've been dealing with colds all year, yeah, which is just like a really <laughs> weird thing to say. And then <laughs> yeah, and then they said, Fred Lynn says he plays better with a cold. Yep, <laughs> yep. That was, that, that's one of the quiz questions today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Dick Stockton, That was hilarious. Uh, you know, he, he, he gave us the inside scoop there since he's the – the Sox play-by-play guy all year, you know, he, he had a, a, the inside scoop on the cold situation. Forget this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fred Lynn said uh, Michael Jordan's flu game. That was that was easy. Man, there you go. Should have had the flu every game. Come on. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jack, I have some questions for you on some of these things. Well, I uh, wanted to give my observations also, and then we can actually. Oh, right. Go, all right. Ahead. go ahead. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, the broadcast started with Louis Tion's dad in the stand smoking a big ass Cuban cigar, <laughs> that, waving that, to the camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. I mean, he had his father had to get special permission to leave Cuba. Uh-huh. Uh, Tion, his, his son had left before the, the communists took over. That's crazy. Um, but for Tion Sin to come over, he had to get special permission from Castro to come over there. But it reminded me, Louis Tion used to do a hot dog commercial. It was a national hot dog commercial. He'd take a bite of the hot dog and with his Cuban accent, he would say, "It's a wiener." <laughs> so it was. A I've heard it. I've heard it. Dog, I've heard it. But he pronounced it as wiener. So back then. <laughs> For us kids, it was like a running joke. If you hit a home run, somebody would say, "Eats a wiener," you know. So <laughs> we we play poker. You put down a winning hand. Eats a wiener, you know. We we use that a lot. So six Hall of Famers in the in the starting uh, sixteen: Rose, Morgan, Bench, Tony Perez, Yastrzemski, and Fisk. And I think five of those six may have been first ballot. Um, Perez was not, but Rose, Morgan, Bench, Yaz, and Fisk were, were close, if not first ballot guys and both catchers batting cleanup was uh, an interesting point hmm. a lot of bunting and base stealing and a lot of talk about stressors Dak, as you mentioned i was surprised how much mm-hmm. you know base it wasn't like this john smoltz droning on and on crap it was just um this is a spot to hit and run this is a spot to base steal the base and i mean concepcion stole the base in the 10th inning one of the game reason the game lasted so long lots of throws over the first because you've got mm. a team, the Reds, I looked this up, had six players with 10 or more steals that year. Six with 10 or more, led by Joe Morgan's 63. The Mets had two, by the way. <laughs> they stole 168 bases as a team, the Reds. Now think about this. This is the big red machine. You've got Bench, Perez, Morgan. You have all these home run hitters in the lineup, George Foster. But they still, still stole 168 bases anyway. Um, which mm-hmm. which I found incredible. Um, you know, the bench, say it's seven guys on the bench, you know, when you only have to put nine or ten in a bullpen. I mean, they had four pinch hitters in the nine slot, and I think they still had two other guys still available. So, But Tion, you know, he was red hot, especially in Fenway, uh, the last half of that season. He was their guy. 
but I found it interesting. First in the bottom of the six is 3-3. Three, three. He bats, which is not a big surprise. But then he gives up a, a couple hits in the top of the seventh. They come and visit the mound. He leaves him in, gives up a two-run double, which then made it 5-3 Reds. He's still in the game in the eighth inning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Geronimo hits a home run and make it 6-3. So by the time he finally leaves the game, six runs, 11 hits. Now that is a record that will that'll never happen again in a World Series game, that someone gives up 11 hits, let alone six runs. Um, I think the Red Sox announcer guy said something about that too. Didn't he say something about um, the manager says he always kn- he always likes leaving or prefers leaving the guy on the mound because he knows what he's capable of and he doesn't know what the guy in the bullpen is capable of? I, I Probably. I may have missed that, but I, that's probably true. And I was thinking a lot because, you know, these bullpen guys were not really specialists. Dick Drago, who was the closer for the Sox that year, but there wasn't even really a closer. It was like the guy that was happened to be pitching in the ninth. <laughs> but he was a starter for six years prior to that and just ended up in the bullpen. A lot of bullpen guys just, guys, well, you're not a very good starter. We're going to put you in the bullpen. Yeah. And instead of being developed as a, a, you know, a bullpen stopper, closer guy, which we see more of that now. But um, commercials, this was amazing. And, and it may have happened earlier in the game, but I wasn't really paying attention. Pedro Borbone got removed in the eighth inning. They did not go to commercial for the pitching change. They stayed with the game. Here come Borbone from the bullpen, eight warm-up pitches. The announcers are chatting back and forth. They're talking about the fact that, you know, some of the players are huddled up talking strategy while the – I mean, and then Raleigh Eastwood came on in the ninth for the Reds. And again, they did not go to commercial. They stayed with the game, which I found fascinating. And, Andrew, you weren't watching, Zach, but every time they came back from commercial between innings, the guy is still warming up. He's yeah. like, he's still got four or five warm-up pitches left. So, you know, again, you're, you're just getting the game. You're getting more of the sights and sounds of the game mm-hmm. without all the massive number of commercials. So I really, um, obviously, I especially appreciate it, appreciate that part. What? But I, but you I think that commercials. makes you really feel like you're seeing the whole game when you're mm-hmm. seeing all that, you know. So I, <clears> I, I like to see more of that, of course. But anyway... At the time, it was thought to be the, the greatest World Series game. Certainly, it was the greatest World Series telecast ever. When Fisk hit the home run, there were 36 seconds of silence. And you could hear the organist at the ballpark playing the Hallelujah Chorus. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So, And not, one last thing about the game. In 1998, TV Guy voted this game the number one moment in televised sports. Uh, mm. was this game but that fist shot i just read an article i'll send you guys a link to it they had all those cameras now the fisk that a- camera angle was not even being looked at as a potential replay you know they showed him uh running around the bases they showed him crossing the plate they showed the pitch on this all on the replays finally someone in the truck says wait a minute Look at the look at the shot this camera ended up with. That was the one inside the wall of him trying to wave the ball fair. And so the director said, "Oh yeah, run that shot." And that's how it became. It was it was t- over 2 minutes after the home run when Hey, let's run that replay. Mm. 
And that changed TV in terms of that was the moment when all games after that decided to go for what they call now the reaction shot. Stay mm. with a player for five seconds after he does something to see if you get a reaction out of him instead of cutting away to another camera right away. But that was really an iconic moment in televised sport that they had caught that. And it was such an iconic moment. That's really changed the way baseball was telecast uh, since then. So I think right. we sh I think it should get even more like it was back then. Cause the, the thought of, you know, some, some fan watching with his mouth open with his face like phased onto the field as something happens, that would just be awesome. Mm, they yeah. could do. They could really do a lot. All they right, do a lot. Jack, I got some yeah. questions for you. Just some, right. just some stuff that I heard, but I didn't really know about. So I just wanted to ask you because I yeah. figure you know a lot. Uh, they were talking about some kind of World Series, like film or documentary or something, where they had a manager mic'd up. And they said other players would walk by and say inappropriate things. And the guy would be like, that wasn't me. That, that wasn't me. It was that. Were there World Series documentaries or films in the movie theaters at yeah, that time? Yeah, or no, absolutely. You know, obviously, um, I don't know, World Series wasn't televised until the late 40s. But even into the 50s, it wasn't really huge broadcasts that everyone was watching. Well, of course, it was during the day, all the games, too. So nobody saw them anyway. Hmm. So, yeah, there was definitely um, a film company that would do World Series packages. Um, not only of all seven games, but each individual game would have a package that they would distribute to the to the movie theaters, like you said. And, um, yeah, you could probably find those on YouTube. Um, just the 1943 World Series. And then there'd be films and commentating, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, there'd be – in fact, I remember being on vacation in 1970 watching the 1969 uh, 35-minute uh. film about the 69 World Series. So, yeah, they always would have That's a 30- cool. to 40-minute packaged um, highlight film that would be distributed to, I don't know, whoever wanted it, I guess. But yeah. So it was, like, it was like a YouTube compilation for back in the day, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Huh. Very cool, very cool. Uh the last question, I got one more question for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, when Hank Aaron like hits his home run to take the lead over Babe Ruth, and in this game you saw it as well, yep. after after the home run to win the game, the fans just are running on the field. Yeah. Was there like an event that specifically happened where people are like, we cannot allow this to happen anymore? Well, <laughs> or, yeah. Or what? Um, I'm trying to think. One year, the Yankees won the World Series, and it was bad. It might have been in the <laughs> 77 or so. But, um, well, 69 when the Mets won. If you ever look at pic pictures of, the, of Shea Stadium after the Mets won the World Series, <laughs> there's more dirt than grass out there. I mean, people were just picking up chunks of outfield grass and taking it home, and it was, it was a mess. But mm. you do see I, – I forget what World Series it was. I mean, and it's – was a common use uh, horses coming onto the field to keep the fans at bay and keep everybody off. I think in 86, they were already pleading with the fans, do not come on the field, do not come on the field. And, mm -hmm. um, and they didn't because they made a big thing about the, the danger that the players were in. 
So that was going on a little bit there in, in the mid 70s, but it wasn't a, a wide scale thing. But then sometime in the, in the 80s, because like I say, when the Mets won in 86, they were pleading with fans not to come on the field. So sometime it just got probably got progressively worse. And we saw a little of that when Fisk hit his home run. Um, fans were definitely coming on the field for that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it just got progressively worse between, I'd say, early 70s into the early 80s. And then they finally said, we got to we got to put a stop to this. So. Okay, interesting, interesting. You know, those damn hippies in the 70s. Were like, oh, <laughs> we're we're going to run on the field. And all the guys in the suit and ties in the 50s and 60s, they weren't running on the field. Uh, the hippies, they don't want to start running yeah. on the field. There's only the people in t-shirts. How dare they? <laughs> That's right. Get off long the field. Hair. You can see You're... everyone running after Hank Aaron. They all has long hair. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, Andrew, I'm going to get you in on some of these questions I have now. We're going to do... World Series, Game 6, 1975 quiz. Some of these uh, questions, you guys were very observant, and you've answered them already. So you guys start off with two points. Excellent. We'll start with, how many innings had Tiant pitched in the World Series before this start in Game 6? Does that include the game he pitched earlier in the 75 World Series? No. Oh. But that's a bonus point for you for knowing that. Yeah. Bonus point, Andrew. Uh-oh. I'm screwed. sorry, Andrew. He knows too much. Well, and I if, know I don't I, if I don't um, recognize it, he gets mad. You know what? Uh, oh, you know what? No. Yeah. I, I, can I say my answer? Uh, should I type it in? I text you? Waiting on Andrew. I'll just yeah. save mine. I don't think mine is. I just remember them saying he had a... I feel like they said he had a 30... Inning scoreless streak or something before he gave up a run. So I'm going to say like 23. I don't think he was ever in a World Series. Now, in this World Series right here, before mm -hmm. he pitched. Am I wrong about this? <laughs> you said zero. <laughs> I, okay, this is what I heard when I was watching. Yeah. That he pitched game one and four complete games. That was in, in the 75 series, yeah. Oh, that was in the 75 series? Oh, yeah. scratch this question. So he pitched one game one and four in 75. And then they had, see. And had complete games? And the reason he pitched game six and the reason um, Gary Nolan pitched game six was because of the three days of rain. So they skipped the guys who would have pitched instead. Tiot may have pitched seven instead of six. But when they were down three games to two, they're like, okay, we got to bring Tion out here because he's our hot guy. And um, and and some pitches were – you might have heard that in the telecast. They talked about that. Some wait, of these wait, pitches wait. were what? – What year are you saying this is? 75. Yeah, that's the year we're talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many, that, That's the World Series I'm talking about. So he yeah. didn't pitch game one and four of – the World he pitched Series game one and four seventy five. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So he pitched eighteen innings in this World Series before Game Six. Oh, I I asked you, are you talking about before 1975? If he pitched any innings in the World Series? Oh, right. but you're saying no, no. I was talking about this World Series. All right, all right. All no right. points. We're off to a roaring start yeah, on this. Yeah, quiz. this is a good one so far. Yeah, Don't yeah, yeah. come up with questions while you're at work. It's uh, don't come not up the questions. You're not watching the game. You're just listening to it. Hey, 
You could have came up with the questions, but you didn't. You're a slacker. All right. Here we go. Who had hit safely in all five previous games of this World Series? What player had gotten a hit in the previous five games? Only one from both teams. It wasn't Pete Rose. I'm going to text you my answer. Jack is right. It wasn't Pete Rose. Andrew, do you want to tell me who it wasn't? Uh, It wasn't Louis Tiant. (laughs) (laughs) You got my answer, Zach. Yeah, I got it. All right, I just sent mine. Denny Doyle from both of you guys. You're both right. Hey, hey now. 3-3. Going into question number four. As a hitter, what did the announcer say was distracting for the pitcher to do or not do? Oh, yeah. Tiant was doing this. That's why he said it. Oh, you guys are on fire. Look at the ground. Look at the sky. Look away from the batter, basically. Yeah. You guys are really paying attention to this game. Yeah, unlike you. Yes, we were. (laughs) I'm excited. Hey, you, you try to do... Electrical schematics while <laughs> while listening to a 1975 World Series broadcast. All right, I was preparing my lunch. Come on. <laughs> I got all right, it. all right. Who was on base for Fred Lynn's first inning home run? Oof. Um, I'm gonna uh, let me type it in. There's one. I'm gonna go. Damn spell check. No, mine's definitely wrong. Yeah, as in Cooper. I don't even think Cooper was ever on base. And then Jack says, Taxi Yaz. Yaz. Yaz was on base. Also, Carlton Fisk was on base. Uh, Fisk was on first then. The two Carls. All right, next question. How many pitchers did the the Reds use in this game? And I'll I'll just tell you why they used so many. The first two pitchers that came on relief in that game were going to start the two of the three days I got the, the rain out days those guys were going to start and Sparky bypassed both of those guys to bring Nolan back so then he brought in what was it Billingham and Freddie Norman who were going to who were bypassed anyway yeah, they were the guys they were saying they were mad that they got passed they mad even though the one guy they were saying he was mad that he got passed up and they flashed his stats on the screen. And I think he had a 4-1-1 ERA. Yeah, not that good. How'd I do? You guys both answered seven. The answer was eight. Oh, eight. eight. You I guys were very relievers. close. I thought you said how many relievers did they get? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I didn't. All right. <laughs> Next one. All right. Luis Tiant. Wanted two things from God this year. What were they? Uh, he said, God, give me these two things, please. can't believe I know some of these. Here's a hint. He got them. Yeah. You got my answer. Yeah. You guys both got it. Ow. He wanted to see Andrew, family. And he wanted to make it to the World Series. And yeah. he damn did it. All right, let's move on. You guys are still tied up, I believe. This is crazy. This is unheard of. This is unheard of. I might have to use all my questions, actually, to to, to break this tie. All right. Andrew, you, you mentioned this earlier. In the fifth inning of this game, Tiant 
was that how many consecutive innings at home without a run? I hope I was right. Andrew says 30. Jack says 40. The answer was 40. Oh. 40 consecutive innings without a run. What a run by that guy. All right. I've got a couple more. You guys want to keep going? Right, you guys more. are you guys are really killing it. So Let's I kind of Let's do it. Kind of excited. All right. Where did Tion smoke his cigars after games? Hmm. I don't remember this one. Neither do I, but I'm gonna take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> the only place I can think of that makes it worth mentioning. Oh, you guys both got it. In the shower. <laughs> 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 the only yeah, place I, mean, I wouldn't think to smoke a cigar. <laughs> it's a wiener. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot of That's wieners what he in said the when he smoked a cigar. He's a yeah. wiener. Is the cigar a wiener? Is he looking at wieners? There's so many ways that could you go. You might have heard All that right. from me at some point in, over, over the years. I've you definitely know? heard it's a wiener. Okay. Yeah. For All sure. Right. Yeah. All right. All right, uh, pretty sure it was Bob Hope they were talking about having guests on after the game. Yeah. Um, yes, it was. Bob if Hope, you yeah. can name, uh, let's say two of the guests that Bob oh. Hope. What if? What if you can name them all? Then, then you get bonus points, Jack. Uh, <laughs> I remember them making a funny comment about that. He mentioned um, I, three yeah. specifically that I remember. If you can name two, that's a point. I'm going to have to pass on this one. I don't when know. he said who they were, and then he says, et cetera, et cetera, and Tony Gubek says, ooh, who's that, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, these were three incredible names. Jackie got them, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Lucille Ball. Yeah. Just what a lineup that what is. What a lineup. Hall of Fame what, lineup there. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah, all in yeah. one night, too. Yeah. All right, well, that's that's today's quiz. Congratulations, Jack and Andrew. I, you guys both paid incredible attention to this. I wasn't yeah. expecting such a high score from the two of you. I just want to say one more thing about this World Series. Five of the seven games ended in a, were won by a single run, which is another mm. thing that made this World Series so great. And the yeah. last thing that made it so great was that Game 7 was decided on a Joe Morgan single in the top of the ninth as the Reds won. Ooh. The final four to three. And the Sox had a couple of guys on in the bottom of the ninth. I think Yastrzemski popped out to end it. But wow. four three game, game seven of the World Series. How long do you think it took to play it? Uh, two hours, 10 minutes. Two hours, 50 minutes. There were a lot of pitching changes. This is kind of when the, you know, you heard they refer, referred to Sparky Anderson as Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. So this is when we started to get a little more into this. Um, extreme use of of relievers so yeah he wasn't afraid to use them for sure no no so, all right anyway, so that's good job everybody that was enjoyable that's enough baseball for this week let's get yeah, yeah, let's get into that. the music jack i heard you went to a concert of a of a certain band that we talk about here on you know, loogie let's hear the about it the number one record in loogie this past season, <laughs> my ratings, the average ratings for this particular record, the Happy Fits, um, what could be better, was the number one record on Loogie ratings this past year. I went and saw the Happy Fits in Asheville, North Carolina last night. I drove from my house with my wife, <laughs> and, wife and daughter. We drove an hour and a half down to Asheville. 
we parked our cars in the parking lot, had a couple of uh, cocktails before we went inside. <laughs> and then we saw the opening band, and then the Happy Fits played a just kick ass. It was a royal kick ass set. They played 17 songs, eight of the 10 from the new album, every song that I wanted to hear. And these three guys create such a wall of sound. It's just incredible that the sound that these guys put out. And what a nice thing about it was it was a Tuesday night and it's a nice venue. It's just, it's a, it's a bare bones venue. It's just a stage and a, and a little, you know, you could probably fit four or 500 people in there uncomfortably. There were maybe just a couple hundred people there, if that. So we're, you know, maybe 15 feet from this, 20 feet from the stage in a loosely packed um, dance floor. And so it was very comfortable and it was a great mm-hmm. night. And um, they, they were wonderful, so I really enjoyed it. So, Happy Fits, buy the record. Happy if Fits. People buy records anymore. Should we jump right into our bracket and see oh, if the Happy bracket, Fits yeah. were truly the Ooh. top album of Ooh. last year? Because they're yeah. up against a big dog in this first, in this, what is this, last eight? In this last eight we have here? Yeah. So, the Happy Fits, what could be better is going up against the Clash's London Calling. Oh, interesting. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with we'll start with you, buddy. I have to give it to Happy Fits. It's still an album that I go back to. I I watched a few of the video a few videos from the concert that I saw posted, mm-hmm. and I haven't listened to the album in a little bit, but I still knew like all the words from the songs. Yeah, because I listened to it so often. Seeing, just seeing that guy with the cello yeah. going crazy on it, I, you just, I just can't not pick them. So I got to go Happy Fits. Yeah, Jack, I'm going to make you choose because I'm going to go <laughs> London Calling okay. by The Clash. It's just such a good rock record. and It's iconic. And so it's many good album. songs on it. Yeah. It's a double album, too, which makes it so hard. But I'll I tell you what. I'm calling is, you know, one of my top 10 records of all time, but I'm going to push the happy fits through Ooh. into the next bracket. Wow. Wow. Because the more True I listen boy. to this record and Andrew was just talking about it. He listened to a lot, the lyrics, the music, the vocalization, all three guys sing. Um, mostly the celloist. Um, he's mostly the lead singer. The guitarist picks up lead on other songs. But then the drummer also has his moments. So it's almost like you have, as I've said this before, like you got more instruments in here just with their different voices. So anyway, I'm pushing the Happy Fits through into the next bracket. Happy Fits taking down the Clash London Calling. That yeah, is a statement. It. That can't believe it. it could be the best record of 2021. All right, let's move on to the next battle. We've got Currents by Tame Impala going up against Rush's Moving Pictures. This is a This is a tough one. Well, let me go first because we, because um, I think you guys should decide this one. But I'm I've listened to Currents a little bit more lately, and Hannah, my daughter, just keeps talking on and on about Tame Impala also, and the concert she went to. So that inspired me to listen to them a little bit more. So I'm really starting to get into them a little bit more than I was. So I'm going to go with Currents, Tame Impala. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup yet. You know, new new synth yeah. versus old synth, basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love Rush. Rush is one of my favorite bands of all time. 
and love that album. So I'm going to go with Moving Pictures. I don't expect it to move on to the next round, but I just really like that album. I do love Currents as well, but I'm going to get it. It is a Moving Pictures. But now Zachary's going to go. This is another, (laughs) well, this is another really hard one because (laughs) Moving Pictures was an album that I had never heard all of. And I was very impressed by how complete of an album it was. Every song on it is very good. It's not very long, but every song on it is solid. And you can tell like the um, kind of stepping stone it was for current music, like yes, Currents by Damon Paula. I mean, it's it's definitely in the same vein. But Currents is like my favorite album of all time. So I, I can't go against it. I got to put Tame Impala through. Fair what, enough. What an album. What an album. All right, let's move on to what is it? The Wild Child's Untouchables, I believe, is going up against Boys and Girls' Alabama Shakes. This is another tough one. We've got some well, good albums here. Why don't you guys start, and I'll see if I'll be the uh, deciding. <sighs> this is a tough one. Um, I'll start this one. I put Boys and Girls through last time in a very tough matchup against... New Gold Dream by Simple Minds. And it's going to kind of shake down to a similar reasoning for me to take the Alabama Shakes again. Every song on that on that album, I really enjoyed. The Untouchables, that album rocked. The Wild Child was really good. I had never heard, really, I think I had heard one song, Jack, that you'd played before. Yeah. Uh, or two, maybe, but... Probably two, but yeah. But there was some great songs on there, just wasn't as thorough as alabama shakes boys and girls for me so i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna send boys and girls through well i'm gonna give it to the untouchables Ah. i went back and listened (laughs) to that one again recently and was a big fan of it there's a lot of really fun and cool songs on there so yeah i'm gonna have to give it to them well, I'll have to give it to the record that I listened to at a bachelor party and somebody turned that record over like nine times in a row because <laughs> yeah. it was so damn good. And, and you had 20 men out there playing volleyball and drinking beer and grooving to this record like five <laughs> times in a row. So I'm going to go Wild Child, Untouchables. Very fitting fitting name for a bachelor party. I just want to say we only played volleyball, drank beer, and listened to Untouchables. Nothing else happened <laughs> after that. You know, I was I wasn't gonna say anything. I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> no, no good, no good. All right, I'm glad. I'm glad that that Wild Child made it through. That's a great album. All right, let's move on to. I believe. Oh, I don't. I think it's the. I I think I am. I know that it's the specials by the specials because yes. they went up against Joe West. But was right. it Rick James's street songs that it's going up against? I think Rick James made it through. I right? believe yeah. so. I yep. believe so. Yeah. All right. So we got the specials against Rick James. Uh, Jack, you take this one first. We already know. Well, for me, again, no contest. <laughs> Ponic record um, is, is my choice. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want to influence anybody by using the word iconic now. What? I'm pretty sure Street Songs is pretty iconic too. Super Freak, come on now. It's not bad. Yeah. All right, Andrew. I like that. Do you have a differing opinion? I do not. I have to give it to the specials. I I have it up right now. I'm just looking at the names of the songs, and I can just hear a bunch of them in my head because I know it was one of the first albums we listened to, but it was right up my alley. 
So I definitely have to give it to the specials. Uh, well, when I was on Oxycontin for my teeth, <laughs> uh, I went back and listened to Radiohead's OK Computer, and I was in the right... Weren't you in enough pain already? I was in the right mindset. I was so numb. Uh-huh. It was just beautiful. So, no, I'm just joking. I'm giving it to the specials, of course. It's a great album. They're moving on to the, what is it, the final four. Yeah. Did we, did we get it down four, to four? Really? We, I feel like we have a great uh, mix of new and old in here. I think we've got a lot of different. A lot of different stuff going on here. So I think this is a good bracket. I think we're doing good, boys. Yeah, it'll be a fun battle next week. It's yep. it's kind of unfortunate. The two old-time and similar-style records are going up against each other in one bracket, and the two newer bands, well, I guess that's only fitting, isn't it? That way our final will be old versus new. Yep. There Pretty you cool. go. Pretty there cool. There you go. Oh, All I'm right. I'm yeah, totally next, digging it. Next week, find out who... We'll be, we'll, we'll be uh, representing the old music and who will be re- representing the new. All right, so let's move on to something that will appear in our 2022 music bracket. We listened to Pop Will Eat Itself. Mm. That's the band. Mm. And their album was Cure for Sanity. I was looking up Cure for Insanity because that yeah. is a logical thing to do. And it kept being like, you mean you're, if, you're for sanity? And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I listened to the album and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it all makes sense now. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. Who, does anybody yeah, want I mean, to start talking about this one? Well, I'll, I'll give you a little background. <laughs> this okay. was, this That'd was, be great. The, this band was kind of like one of these breakthrough bands in terms of this was a new style, a new thing. This was a mixture of rap and funk and techno. And these guys were known as like, they were just dirty. They just, they didn't take showers. Their music was dirty. It was sloppy. What did they and call it? Was, it was like grunt. Grebo. Grebo. Yeah. Grebo. Like yeah. yeah. It's basically England's answer to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> so at the time they were wildly popular. They faded rather quickly, but this was their, their best record. And so I, I like, I don't like a lot of the songs, honestly, but I, I picked it because this was something that was, you know, this group anyway, this was like their fourth record. So by now it was probably the beginning of the end for this, you know, this whole style, this, this noise that they were making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I do like when they do, when they do it right, I like it, you know, um, yeah. X, Y, and Z, I love Another man's rhubarb, acts of men. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Another that sounds, man's that sounds like that sounds like a deep South song. It does it not sounds, sound like it was made in England. It sounds yeah. like a country song for it, sure. It sounds exactly like you would think it. What it is, you know. So, um, so yeah, I, when they when they get the techno and the rap all kind of together with a little funkiness, it's good. But there wasn't enough connection on this to make it a really great album for me i i think when i when i had the cd i think it burned like four or five songs and and that was it i was done so but i did want to give you guys a little exposure here to this so anyway uh i'm gonna give it a six all right point four uh andrew do you want to take it sure this one yeah it was weird it was i feel you gotta be in the right mood to listen yeah. to it and really 
enjoy it, but it, I would say it is like weird in a good way. Like I did like some of it. You mentioned X, Y, and Z was probably my favorite song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dance of the Mad Bastards, like the first actual song, which mm-hmm. was like all rap, was really interesting. And I kind of was expecting the whole album to be that. And then it just went in a whole nother direction, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. which was crazy and cool and fun. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how often I would, you know, come back to this, but I definitely didn't hate it. Like it, it was very interesting. Uh, so I'm gonna give it, I'll give it a five point eight. Mm-hmm. It All is right. something different. very fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of genres. They couldn't really pick a genre. This no. band, which is fine to mix and match. Uh, there was hip hop, like you said, electronic. There was dance music, rock music, funk music. It was all mashed together and uh all all very high bpm songs everything was very fast paced like i couldn't imagine dancing to it i don't think i would be able to dance to it for more than like a minute before i got tired the way that thing goes it might be a little too high for me you know i like those slow songs right but i mean it is what it is uh they committed to doing something crazy and by god they did it dance of the dance of the mad bastards i thought was a very fun Mm -hmm. song Mm -hmm. xyz i agree with you guys that was my favorite song did you guys like electric sunshine style or Mm, the original one Oh yeah, the Electric Sunshine. Oh, I love that one too. Yeah, that the, version of XYZ. There's yeah, like two I, versions of XYZ. I call it the Sweet Tea version, but yeah, I do like that <laughs> version. No, seriously, I do. I call it, I, I I do like that version. But I um, do like the Electric Sunshine style one as well. I thought it was very good. And uh, touched by the hand of Chicholina, maybe. I don't know how to say oh, that. Oh yeah, that but, one was that one was fun. But I like that one as well. Those were my three favorites. Uh, it kind of felt like strobe lights for your ears is what I'm going to say. Uh, and I'm going to give it a five because I, right. I, I like that they tried like that crazy shit. It just, it just, it wasn't my favorite, but it was interesting. So I'll give right, it a five. Let me give you guys one more song on their record to listen to just to hear something a little the previous record. Some people say are better is better, but listen to Defcon one from their previous record and you'll get probably their most iconic song and best sounding song that they've ever done, which best captured their, their whole deal. And that's probably a song you will enjoy more than what Def you've heard Con on this one. record. It Def is Con their Con most one. listened to song. Yeah. On so Spotify, give that one so. a listen. That was on a previous record and it might, you might find that a little more pleasing anyway. Alrighty. All right. That was pop will eat itself. Very interesting record. I think, Andrew's got a recommendation for us for yep. next week. I got one. Right. I don't know anything about this band. I just <laughs> saw something <laughs> pop up and it seemed interesting. And these songs have a ton of listens on Spotify. So I guess it is a popular band that I just had literally never heard of. But the band's called Pixies. I don't know if either of you oh, yeah. I know kinda... them, like, or don't like them, but seemed interesting i wanted to listen to it and the album i picked is called do little that's their classic all right there we it's go got a little monkey on it i want to apologize for using the word iconic way too many times tonight <laughs> <laughs> fyi <laughs> yeah I'm, it's I'm okay a bad boy 
I wasn't even really. I'm sure on Twitter, that. they're going to be bashing me over the head for Mr. Uh, iconic over yeah, there. Oh, am I iconic too? <laughs> All right. Well, Jack, do you have a do you have a game that we could watch? Do you have anything in mind? Uh, any homework for us to do? That is a five star record. The Pixies do little, so that's a good choice. Um, Thank you. Oh, iconic game. Huh? They got a song um, called "Wave of Mutilation" and then one called "Mutilation," I think. <laughs> and oh gouge. Ooh, this is this is gonna be good. All right, all right, Jack. Sorry, you got any homework well, for th- us? Not off the top of my head. Because right. we're, you know, we're we're well, now we're getting more. Well, you guys forget. You guys are that. You guys are that young. I keep forgetting how young you are. You know that I pick a game from the eighties. You really. I guess we should go with a Met game. I tell you what. Um. The most incredible, it's a 16-inning gut-wrencher. But the probably the most incredible game in Met history would have Another been... Another long the, one. Great. It would have been... The, <laughs> it would have been... But this is game six of the 86 NLCS. Mets... Game six, 86 NLCS. Okay. Oh, it's only four hours on YouTube. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, that was the game that we defeated the Astros seven to six to Oilers go to the World's Yeah, okay. Well the Mets <laughs> Astros game six, eighty-six NLCS. That okay. was an amazing game. It's a long how let me see, I'm looking at it right now. It's four forty two was the game duration. So yeah, so YouTube will have it without the commercials then I, I would imagine again, but pity. I mean that. I mean, I remember watching that game, and we were dying. And the, the setup for this game, Mike Scott was the Astros ace that year, and this guy was frigging unhittable mm. all year long, and he he killed us um, more than once or twice. Um, but you guys got to him in the sixteenth. Well, he was scheduled to pitch Game Seven, <laughs> and know. everyone is like. Oh God! Any anything we got to win this game. We do not want to face Mike Scott. Oh, um, gotcha. He pitched. He struck out fourteen batters in a complete game five hitter in game one. Whew. But that that's the kind of year he had. He was just um, and he was a former Met too. I might add when we faced him. So we were like, we nobody want to face this guy in game in game seven. Um, he did win the Cy Young that year. But so, yeah, so game six was like, oh, we got to win this one. And so you'll see what it took to win that game. It's, it's pretty incredible. All right. Looking forward to it. We got lots lots of homework to do for next week. And uh, we'll have a great show for you guys. Thank you all for joining us for episode 32 of Lugie. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Join us next Thursday for episode 33. Remember, we have merch on redbubble.com. Just search Lugie. And tell a friend. We love you guys. Don't forget to give me my uh, cut of any um, sweatshirt sales. Don't try to steal it all on me. All right? uh, and- Andrew's getting all that. I'll mail you a check. <laughs> Thank you. 